Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Defending the West podcast, the podcast where I talk about Western civilization, culture, history, philosophy, um, who's currently attacking it, and why it's worth defending. Today, again, I'm going to be talking about a culture in the United States known as the New France or Cajun and Creole culture. Um, In a previous podcast, I specifically talked about the Appalachian culture and why they supported Trump. And today I'm talking about another culture that very much supported Trump. If you look at the uh, map uh, Colin Woodard did for the 11 different nations of the United States, you'll find that the two nations that happened to support Trump the most were in fact the Appalachian culture, as I mentioned in previous podcast, and New France, as I'm going to talk about today. And there's a fair amount of evidence for this beyond just, uh, you know, th- this mere uh, map that Colin Woodard made showing the um, election results of each respective nation. I mean, Louisiana itself, I believe, um, um, Trump had won the 58% of the vote in the 2016 presidential election, receiving more individual votes than any previous candidate on a Louisiana ballot. And he's remained very popular in Louisiana. Like, he's made a fair amount of trips there, too, and he's always been fairly popular. Um, He was one of the only presidential candidates that actually uh, visited Louisiana following Katrina. Uh, Clinton promised to, but she didn't, and I don't even think Obama ended up visiting. But Trump did, and, you know, uh, people really do like him down there. I even watched a Cajun documentary on YouTube yesterday where there was this one man who spoke Cajun French, uh, you know, had a boat that he used to go along the swamp rivers to hunt alligators. And while he was doing all that, he was wearing a camo Trump 2020 hat. So in this episode, I'm going to specifically be talking about uh, why these people uh, very much supported Trump. So first, I'm going to talk about what New France is and how they first were developed. So when the Europeans first came to the New World, they all had various approaches to um, the Native Americans. The Spanish, for example, they set up missions and basically treated Native Americans like slaves. Um, some historians would go to the missions and they'd um, observe like how the Native Americans were being treated by the Spanish priests attempting to, you know, quote-unquote civilize them, and they were said to have been treated just as horribly as Africans were being treated by, by Barbados slave lords. The English, on the other hand, they preferred to either very much distance themselves and push Native Americans off their lands or just outright kill them. And then the Dutch preferred having more of a trading relationship with them. The French, on the other hand, more specifically the French that ended up founding New France, ended up assimilating with the Native Americans. So when New France was first founded in uh, what is around modern-day Quebec, it was primarily led by um, an unlikely pair. Uh, the two men were Pierre Dugois, the Sieur de Mons, who was a French noble, who had been raised in a walled chateau and served as a personal advisor to King Henry IV, and his 34-year-old deputy, uh, Samuel de Champlain, who was supposedly the common born son of a small-town merchant, but you know basically grew up with him. Most historians pretty much uh, believe that uh, Samuel de Champlain was just one of Henry IV's many illegitimate, illegitimate sons. But these two were friends. They grew up together, um, well, somewhat grew up together. 
Um, they both lived in a part of France that was more culturally diverse. They fought in wars together, the French religious wars together, and saw firsthand the tragedies that could occur from being too strict with religion. So both automatically were fairly tolerant of religion, but they both had fairly different approaches. Um, the Sieur de Mons, um vision for what New France would be would be more feudalistic and rural, kind of like you know the countryside of France was with lords, ladies, and serfs. I mean, he wanted to uh, accommodate the commoners more than any other French men did in, in France. He wanted to let the commoners be able to hunt and fish. Um, he wanted to allow there to be French Protestants, even though Catholicism would still be the main religion. And he had a fair amount of good, tolerant ideas. Then there was Champlain, on the other hand. His ideas were far more radical, and insanely enough, these were the ones who took place the most. His idea wasn't just to live with the Native Americans. He wanted to completely assimilate with the Native Americans. He saw them as just as intelligent, civilized, and good as any Frenchman, and he specifically pushed for the French and the Native Americans to intermingle, intermarry, and become one culture. And that's honestly what ended up happening with many different Native American tribes, such as the Maquis and the Huron. They ended up intermarrying with the French. Um, the French would end up ha adopting many of the different lifestyles of the Native Americans. Originally, many French came there thinking that they were going to have the Native Americans assimilate to their culture, but in many ways, it was the opposite. Many of the French ended up adopting Native American traits and living in Native American villages and ended up living off the land. When French lords would later come in attempting to impose more of a feudalistic society and force the commoners to, uh, you know, work like, you know, slaves, or at least how the commoners would be treated in modern in France at the time, the commoners instead ended up just leaving the towns altogether to live off the land and live with the Native Americans and just make a living off of fur trading. And this was ultimately what society was like. Fast forward a bit to when Britain would take over Quebec. Uh, many of the Arcadians, or what would later be called the Cajuns, moved down to New Orleans and southern Louisiana. And they would, again, have that very culture that was developed up there be in Louisiana that's still very much present to this day. For example, the, to this day, the, many Cajuns still very much live off the land to the point that in New Orleans you can find fairly commonly foods such as fried frog legs, turtle soup, and alligator. And many Cajuns still speak French to this day, although it is beginning to die a bit. So how did uh, New France interact with some of the other nations? Well, reading uh, Colin Woodard's American Nations book, it turns out it wasn't especially easy, especially when they came in contact with the Deep South. Now, as I mentioned, um, for the most of history, slavery was considered you know, a social construct that was widely accepted. It had never really been something that needed to be defended before. The Deep South was, in fact, pretty much the first civilization on Earth to have to defend slavery. And they found their, quote-unquote, moral justification of slavery being that black people are inferior. And this was actually rather unique to the Deep South. Tidewater, for example, was founded as just, you know, a feudalistic society where you had lords and ladies. And theoretically, African Americans could rise to prominence and end up be, being uh, superior to other whites. Same thing with the New Netherland and uh, the New York area, which was founded by the Dutch. They, they were the first to bring in slaves, but again, they were able to work their way up and find their own freedom. 
wasn't based off of race. And same thing in New France. Uh, many African Americans ended up finding their own freedom, and a lot of them, by the time uh, New France began coming into contact with the Deep South, had actually were living in better conditions than many of the Irish immigrants who had immigrated to New Orleans. So the Deep South was, in fact, pretty much the only, not only the only society in the world, but more or less the only society, truly society in the country, where um, economic status was determined solely by uh, race, not by economic class. Because while in other portions of the country, uh, African American could rise to prominence if he was able to, that was just simply impossible in the Deep South. And this was re- reflected. Um, a lot of people don't understand this, but the United States was actually very much moving away from slavery very early on. And this was uh, evidenced by Thomas Jefferson in, in the Declaration of Independence. Now, as contradictory as Thomas Jefferson was, you know, he did own slaves, and he didn't free all that many of them, in part because he was in serious debt. But he originally wrote in the Declaration of Independence that King George had committed crimes against humanity by forcing people of a different continent who had done no crime against him to be stripped away from their home and forced to go to a new world. He felt that this was an injustice. He even attempted to have Virginia no longer take in any more slaves, but King George prevented this from being able to happen. And this sentiment actually was fairly popular throughout the country. And the agreement was that every line of the Declaration of Independence had to be ratified by every single state. And every state had ratified this very line, except for the two Deep South states, South Carolina and Georgia. So when the Deep South, of course, uh, came in contact with New France, and they imposed a very different idea of society, whereas the Deep South, they were far more tolerant of African... Well, the Deep South was completely intolerant of African Americans, um... Cajun New France culture, in fact, ended up, you know, being, was somewhat of a mix of Native American, um, French, and African cultures. Creole itself is, in fact, a blending of the French language and somewhat influenced by Native American and African languages. And you can even find some um, West African... uh, voodoo religious practices in the portions of Louisiana. Although this also could be attributed to the uh, Native Americans' adoption of Catholicism in Quebec as well, where they integrated some of their own religious practices as well to form a uh, sort of a symbol, a union of Catholicism and Native American spiritual practices. But anyway, so this was New France. And, you know, for most of their history, they Pretty much, you know, like I said, they, these were the free people. These were people who lived off the land. And for the most part, they spoke French until the early 1900s where the United States began really cracking down and prevent French from being spoken in schools and really made all the kids learning in English. Although it wasn't fully done especially well. I saw a different uh, Cajun documentary on YouTube where one man was completely illiterate in English and didn't even learn English till he was 18 and but he was fluent in Cajun-style French. So why did these people support Trump? So, well, I kind of mentioned in a previous podcast why the Appalachians supported Trump. In essence, it's kind of the same idea, I believe. The idea that these were the people that just wanted to be left alone. And these were the people that were kind of just shoved aside by the uh, various politicians and kind of forced to 
I don't know, pushed to the edge while others were kind of being, I don't know, propped up. And these were kind of just the forgotten people. I think a lot of Cajuns feel that way, and that's in part why they were very much supportive of Trump. I think there's another explanation as well I've been seeing very much recent, very recently. Victor Davis Hansen writes in his book, um, The Case for Trump, that there were two, there were two very, very big reasons that helped Trump be able to win in 2016, and I think has contributed to his success in 2020. He may still win the election, but although it does look like he lost, there is he definitely still had a lot more popularity in 2020 than he did in 2016. Um, anyway, two of the biggest reasons were um, his authenticity and his changing the narrative. So for the authenticity, I mean, Trump was real. Even though, you know, he's a billionaire from New York, you know, he inherited millions from his daddy. He inherited a very, very big, successful business. He really was able to connect to the common folk. And part of the reason why was because as the um, author writes, he he's a builder. He builds what he had. And he realized in the process of doing that that the people who really get stuff done is the middlemen. It's the construction workers. It's the common people. And, you know, this was even affirmed in the comment section in one of the videos I saw. A guy who used to work for New work for Trump in New York. Um, he was having lunch one day with some other construction workers and Trump in some suits passed by. Trump said, Hey, how's it going? Sorry for interrupting your lunch. Went to have a meeting with the suits. Once that was done, he came out and had lunch with him, had lunch with the construction workers. And the guy who wrote in the comments said, um, asked Trump, like, why are you having lunch with us? And Trump's like, I prefer you guys. I prefer hanging out with you guys. I don't like hanging out with the suits. I don't like hanging out with the elites. I, like you guys. I like talking to you guys more. You got I it's just a lot more enjoyable. And I think people really did get that. People really did get that authenticity and the fact that he really was able to connect to the common folk more than some of the other elitists have. I mean, when Biden tried connecting to the Hispanics, he played Despacito from his phone. When he tried connecting to African Americans, he'd change his accent or he'd interview with a rapper, but Trump it was always the same. He'd always wear the same suit, never change his accent. He'd never change his outfit. And he always would say like, and he literally would say to African American community, what do you have to lose? And the other uh, big factor that helped out Trump was him changing the narrative. Now the Democrats, they basically made the narrative that, you know, I, I've said this before, like uh, this is, you know, a battle of morality they've made it out to be. Like it's either a racist or not racist. And, you know, they've, basically made the division along racial lines. But um, Trump, what he did was um, he changed it not based off of um, racial lines. He did it based off of class lines. He went to the communities and was like, um, no, I'm not like the elites. I'm not like, you know, the Biden or Clinton or even Obama for that matter, who kind of, you know, was pretty educated and kind of an elitist in a way. He said, no, I'm not one of them. I actually want to help you out. And this was reflected in the voting. I mean, the third, the three like poorest states are Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, which contains the Cajun culture, and West Virginia, which contains the Appalachian culture. And they kind of contain the forgotten people, the Cajuns, the Appalachians, the people that are some of the poorest, poorest people in the country. The poorest community in this country is 
you know, a mountain town in West Virginia, all white. And some of the poorest people in the, another group of poor people in the country are the Cajuns in Louisiana. And they kind of have been forgotten about the Democrats. The Democrats, I mean, you know, Biden, he, he, even during Biden's like pseudo um, acceptance speech, he said, uh, because the African-American community voted for me, I'm going to be helping them. I mean, that, that's a terrible thing to say. Like, you should be helping all Americans, not be dividing things based off of race. I mean, I, I'm not saying that um, all politicians should be helping everyone. They shouldn't just be... I mean, and obviously African-Americans need help and Native Americans need help as well, but uh, of, the Cajuns need help as well and the Appalachians need help. They're doing horrible. And the fact that the Democrats have just kind of abandoned them is terrible. And why have they abandoned them? Well... It's kind of the same reason that when missionaries go to Africa, they don't want to go to the cities where there's actually more people that need to hear the word of God. They go out to the countryside. They want to go out and rough it in the woods and all that. Why? It looks better. It, it, it makes them feel better. It, it, it's a better image, more picturesque to look like you're helping some people that live differently from you and look differently from you. But... I don't know. It's just not nearly as... It, it's far more picturesque to be helping out um, African-American communities than Cajun and Appalachian communities. And I think... And the thing is, Trump actually has been helping out the Hispanic and Native American communities as well. And I think the elections have somewhat reflected that. I mean, it, one of the things Democrats have kind of been trying... Like Biden has been trying to push for is helping out the illegal immigrants. But the fact is... that. A lot, there's a lot of Hispanics in the country that really aren't interested in, in that. They actually do want secure borders. Um, the same author actually talks about a phenomenon that's occurred in California over the past few decades. Apparently, a lot of Oaxacans, um, who are indigenous peoples in uh, Mexico, have immigrated to California. And instead of like trying to integrate them into society, they've basically just caused them to stay stagnant. They've said, no, you don't have to get educated you don't have to do certain things you can just keep doing what you're wanted and what you're wanting to do and this has been one of the biggest factors that has contributed to the decline in california and it's not even just you know white people being affected by this hispanics are being affected by it as well there's the author talked about like uh, one particular anecdote where um i don't know um some hispanics called the ice on some Oaxacans because you know um, I don't know, there were a few different stories out. Like, they would just, you know, get in a car wreck, then they'd walk away, they'd kill people and walk away, and they called the cops on some walk-ins, they got deported, and then they called the Hispanics saying, hey, uh, we're going to kill your family, how dare you do that to us? And, you know, again, I think this was kind of reflected in the vote this year. A lot of Hispanics ended up voting for Trump. And even me living in San Antonio, like, I'd go to the grocery store and I'd see people wearing, you know, Trump masks. I'd drive across the freeway and on the other side, I'd see a Trump parade with big trucks with uh, massive Trump flags waving in the air. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying like Trump won all the Hispanic vote, but the fact that he was able to cause that to increase is kind of telling and to the fact that this narrative that the Democrats keep wanting to push that, you know, oh yeah, we have to fight racism and all that just wasn't working. And you'll find similar trends with the Native American community, too. Two, the vice president of the Navajo Nation is actually a diehard Republican and one of the biggest supporters of Trump. Um, he specifically, the Republicans have, and the Republicans have highlighted Trump's efforts to try and address the epidemic of missing and slain Native Americans. 
And there was even a documentary released recently about how the fact that the impoverishment in the Navajo community has in part, well, in a very, very large way been attributed to the socialism and the um, handouts to the Native American community. And this has all really, really hurt them. And a lot of significant Native American figures were making these arguments, such as um, um, Martinez in New Mexico made the argument that, you know, for myself, I've always asked what has the Democrat Party done to solicit this undying and unwavering support from Native country, especially when we see the type of politics they are supporting now and the very policies that have led to the cycle of poverty. And then, of course, what are the... Um, there, I mean, obviously, again, the Native American, for the most part, the Native American community has supported um, Biden. And, but what were the arguments being made? Well, the only one I was seeing was, oh, we must vote against racism, bigotry, and xenophobia. And again, it goes to the argument I keep making. The Democrats, they don't, they're, they don't care about people. They're not trying to, I mean, not all Democrats, of course, but the, you know, Bidens and such, they don't. They don't care about helping people. This isn't about serving the people, at least from a policy perspective. It's about serving the people in a, from a moral perspective. They want to be the source of morality and give people the supposed satisfaction of voting against racism, voting against bigotry, and voting against, you know, uh, I don't know, hurting the environment. It doesn't matter the, the fact that, you know, Trump has actually reduced the emissions since we got out of the Paris Climate Peace Accords, and far more so than any country still in that uh, deal. No, Biden's going to get us back in, even though it's going to hurt us and cause more emissions to rise up. And he even already appointed someone that is like a big oil guy for his environmental policy. It doesn't matter that, you know, Trump wasn't even accused of being a racist prior to running as a Republican president. He is a racist, and you must have voted against him for that. And you must support the Democrats. It doesn't matter that, you know, the policies that they're going to enact don't, I mean, for the most part, aren't really going to make all that much of a difference. It doesn't matter that they're going to continue the regime change wars in the Middle East. And no, Trump's a warmonger, even though, you know, he's the first president in 30 years to not get us into a new war. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. That's, and I, I think that's something that really can be appreciated about Trump. I think he really has been fighting for the people a lot more than people will give him credit for. He really, it's not just a battle of morality with him. It's actually wanting to give people the tools to be able to be successful. And I think that's partly why he was able to far more so appeal to Cajuns, um, Hispanic Americans, um, Appalachian Americans, and some Native Americans and African Americans because there was an authenticity to him and he wasn't just playing some battle of morality he was saying no let's let's make america great and i hope that the republican party continues on that trend it doesn't play identity politics and continues wanting to actually have people you know will provide people with the tools to be able to be successful and actually you know not get us into new wars and actually increase jobs and actually reduce emissions i want all of that and i hope that and personally i'm hoping dan crenshaw and tulsi gabbard run as the republican candidates in 2024 i think that'd be really great i think they do a good job tulsi gabbard would be very harsh on uh the military industrial complex and dan crenshaw would you know support pol conservative policies that will ultimately benefit the country 
Well, that's about all I have to say for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, Hopefully I'll talk to you again next week.